This episode contains an incident of violence to an animal and also the suggestion of verbal abuse and harassment of a young child. Hello. My apologies for the gap in episodes over the past week, but I have just started a new job and there just wasn't time in my schedule to write after learning new skills all day. This week, my focus will be on the relationship or lack thereof between my ex-husband and my daughter. Though technically she was, of course, a daughter to us both by blood, She only ever belonged to me. At the end of the last episode, I noted that I was pregnant before we had even been married a year, primarily because I stopped taking birth control pills as a way of combating migraine headaches. I wasn't unhappy to be pregnant by any stretch of the imagination, but I had no real frame of reference for child raising other than watching other people's kids as a teenager. I doubt if any parent truly knows what to expect when they're expecting because the effect of having that first child is beyond words and beyond imagination. I was the youngest in my family and I married a firstborn. Needless to say, our worldviews were incredibly different. My mother worked and his mother had babies. Married at 18, she once told me she cried the first two months when she wasn't pregnant. His mother was 20 when he was born. My mother had me at age 38. When I first met my mother-in-law-to-be, she was on the couch nursing baby number six. I had grown up in such a modest household I didn't know how to sit and address this woman as she nonchalantly popped her breast back into her shirt with her son and I looking on. The relationship between my husband and his mother was complicated to say the least. He was the king of the castle whenever he went back home and after we married I was regularly interrogated about what I was cooking for him and how I planned to take care of my child. I might have had better insight into my own future if I hadn't been so busy raising my own child rather than taking care to treat my husband like his mother had treated him. I was not trying to be the little wife who presented my husband with a spotless home or a perfect child. I would not have aspired to be that kind of spouse anyway because I somewhat foolishly believed in marriage as a partnership and not as an indentured servitude. I mean absolutely no disrespect, and I mean this, to any other married ladies or unmarried ladies raising children, and to anyone who was actually fortunate enough to stay at home with their kids, I say, good for you. I knew I was not going to have that good fortune, and because I was raised without brothers, I didn't have a frame of reference for how sons might be seen in the family dynamic. When your mother still calls you mama's little baby boy by the time you're 30, 
it's fair to say that your spouse is going to have something of an uphill climb in the respect department. However, I didn't design this episode to revolve around my ex and his mother. I want to dedicate this episode to my own dear daughter, who makes my life so much more interesting and fulfilled than I could have ever imagined. And that's saying a lot, because neither of us could have foreseen how interesting her life would eventually be. Rather than sticking to a short standard timeline for this episode, I plan to describe what life was like for my daughter from the beginning of her life. I feel it will be easier to present this in somewhat of a montage style because you've already heard some of the more difficult aspects of her life and the kinds of acts she witnessed involving her father's violence. She deserves, therefore, to have her own story told, and maybe someday she will tell it. But for now, I will hopefully weave a picture for you of what life was like for her from birth to adulthood as an only child, as a kid of divorced parents, and as an overlooked grandchild. One of my earlier podcast episodes did feature my daughter in a background role in the incident when I broke a storm window with my foot while my head was being held under a waterbed mattress. The poor child was used to loud voices and times of harassment by the time she was four years old, but most of those were directed at me. There was a decisive point in time when the future of her relationship to her father would be set unknown to her for the rest of the foreseeable future. Before she was even born, she was a witness to the pain and fear found nearly daily in my life, which in turn became a kind of chemical and emotional conditioning in her own formation, no doubt setting her up for stress as a normal part of life. When I was eight months pregnant, a fight with my ex-husband resulted in being struck in the abdomen because of a sudden jealousy over the baby. My first instinct was to protect her, you see, and not to bolster the hurt feelings of her father. By the time she was born, some semblance of paternal devotion began to form, at least if she was not crying with colic at her predictable time of 5 p.m. or interrupting our nightly attempt to sleep. By three months, she was enamored of her father, and the two of them would play for a time after work while I cooked dinner. The more mobile she became, the less he appreciated her presence, because she could reach items that he didn't want touched, or she would roll her walker in front of the television so he couldn't see. Both my daughter and I had a short respite from his selfish and demanding ways when he went off to basic training for the National Guard for four months. She had just turned six months old and was working on her first tooth, but he missed seeing it by just a week or so. It was wonderful having my little girl to myself for those months, but as they came during such crucial months of maturity, there would be a problem when he got home. Because four months is a long time in the life of a child who hasn't yet turned one, when my ex returned, it was understandable that my daughter would have been a little bit leery of him, 
Still, his nose was completely put out of joint because she cried and refused to go to him. In front of his family, he accused me of having some other guy over at our house while he was gone, and that's why my daughter didn't like him. A few months later, they had gotten to know each other again, and one weekend we took my daughter to see a gymnastics presentation featuring former Olympians. Obviously more exciting for us than for her, but I always tried to find ways to do things as a family. Sometime during the exhibition, I started to feel very faint and nauseated. And by the time we made it home, I had in fact begun vomiting. I put my daughter down for a nap and I took to my bed with a bucket beside me. My husband had plans for himself and a buddy that didn't include taking care of his daughter. So even though I begged him to stay home and watch her, he refused and left me lying in bed sicker than a dog, hoping my 10 month old who hated to nap would just this once sleep an hour or two. The second year of her life, did not see much improvement in their relationship. In truth, it began a long, predictable descent into obscurity and animosity on his part. By the time she turned two, he began to complain about her almost endlessly, generally about her appearance, but just as often about her behavior. Remember now, this was a man who was the oldest of seven, who had seen many a younger sibling grow up, though I'm sure he did nothing to assist his mother with any of them. You'd think he would have remembered some details about how kids act as they grow. Not so when it came to his old daughter, apparently. She could do little that made him proud or happy anymore. He constantly complained about how she looked, how she talked, how often she talked, how loudly she talked, why she was weird compared to other people's kids, and one particular problem that stuck out to him, how she posed for photos. He would tell me to make her smile like a normal kid and not like she was gazing off into the distance, quote, like a moron. He criticized the way she put her hands up to her face in pictures, looking like a modern-day Shirley Temple or a very young Madonna fan since this was during the Vogue trend. He complained that she was a spoiled brat who talked too much and was already on her way to becoming a fat kid. I should point out that when my ex was young, he was a fat kid, so he was particularly sensitive to that situation. Still, I couldn't believe I had to point out that toddlers and preschoolers tend to be a little plump with chubby cheeks and round bellies. Eventually, he refused to go out to eat as a family because he was so embarrassed by her. When she turned three, he made a declaration to me that I still have trouble believing any human being could speak about their own child, though I know from experience that plenty of parents can ignore their children without any explanation. He told me that he had decided to purposely detach himself from his daughter from that point on in order to punish me for the terrible way in which I had raised her. Again, she was three years old and he was prepared to double down on this promise for the rest of her life. 
From that point on, their relationship was merely one of function when it suited him, like when he was working outside and needed a beer or something, and he would tell her to bring it to him, as if it was some big honor for her to be able to do that. When she turned four, she began to go to daycare slash preschool and was routinely picked up by him because his workday ended a bit earlier than mine. She really didn't like having him pick her up, but it was the norm by that point. One day something happened that had a lifelong impact on her and would leave an indelible mark against him in her eyes. They came home from preschool as usual, but when they entered the house, there was a situation which set him off in a rage. Now, I wasn't present. This was all told by her and by him. As a hunter, my ex occasionally chose to have some animal that he had shot taken to a taxidermist for mounting. One of these was a wood duck he had mounted in a mid-flight pose. As they arrived at home, it did not take him long to notice that there was some damage to his beloved wood duck. He examined it more closely and saw that there were missing feathers and other evidence of damage. He immediately grabbed our cat by the tail and swung it against the floor and against the wall, pausing long enough to shove the cat's face up to the wood duck as if showing it the damage it had done. Understandably, my daughter was devastated and scared and horrified all at once. She ran off to her room crying, and when I arrived at home, I was treated to a long lecture on the stupidity of my cat and how if it happened again, it would be dead. I didn't press the issue with him, and I did my best not to downplay his anger as out of proportion. My daughter tearfully recalled the event to me later in the week when her father was out of the house. As upset as she was, I hoped he would not have another reason to do such a terrifying thing again, but it wasn't long before I learned he had even more sinister plans. He called me at work one day, about a week later, telling me not to ask about the cat when I got home. But if my daughter mentioned it, I was supposed to say it ran away. Always suspicious about his criminal behavior, I asked what really happened to the cat. He told me that he had come home earlier in the day without my daughter at this time, and the duck was off the wall and on the floor and beyond repair. So he picked up the cat, took it outside to the shed, shot it in the head and threw it over the fence into a field. Feeling sick that he had not only taken such drastic measures, but would expect me to lie to my child about it, I complained that it wasn't fair to put that burden on me. So, that was the story we told her. And to protect her fragile psyche further, I later went out to the shed and threw a tarp down on the cat-shaped blood stain on the wooden floor. Like all horrible secrets, this one would one day be raised from the dead and found out. But it would be over a decade later, and neither me nor my ex were the ones who revealed the truth to her. 
She was 16 years old when she discovered what really happened to her cat by a most unexpected source. A co-worker and friend of mine who was visiting with my daughter one day about her rotten dad, as we preferred to call him. I was not present at the time, but somehow the discussion got around to the wood duck story. And because I had revealed the truth to my coworker, when my daughter told what she thought was the end of the story, my friend said, no, that's not what happened to your cat. Your dad took it out to the shed and shot it and then threw it over the fence. Unfortunately, I learned of this in a phone call from my daughter, asking tearfully why I would tell someone else the truth and not her. I gently reminded her that it would have hurt her as a child and her dad threatened me if I did tell her the truth. She was still mad that I hadn't told her all those years later, but thankfully she was even more mad at him. Nearly 10 years in the future, my daughter would confront her dad with the truth about what she knew, which he tried to blame on me naturally. Since I have already jumped ahead in my daughter's timeline, I'm going to preserve for another episode a few more incidents in the lives of her and her father. None of these were ever pleasant for her or the least bit beneficial to their relationship, but that's the unfortunate truth. My greatest regret in life will always be the pain my daughter endured as a child right up to this point in her life that her other parent created. She understands that and thankfully does not blame me for it. Before my daughter was born, my in-laws asked me if I was going to breastfeed the baby. I wasn't at all familiar with the practice of breastfeeding and being from a very modest family, I really hadn't given any thought to it. I simply answered that I hadn't planned on it and I didn't think I would be too comfortable with it. My father-in-law looked at me and said that once I loved the baby, I would feel differently. I looked at him and said that I loved the baby already. Now, contrast that with something else he said when his granddaughter was born. And he said to her father, you know, even though she's a girl, you'll learn to love her all the same. Can you detect that sense of male superiority and imagine growing up with that in your head? Disdain for females that would color my married life and my daughter's formative years? It's no wonder the poor kid had two strikes against her. friends. Thanks for returning today. Sorry about the one week delay in setting up a podcast, but last week just wasn't working for me. But today I'm happy to bring you the big lie, which is the second part of the story of my daughter and her father. The title of this episode has nothing to do with the conspiracy of a certain ex-president Though it does explain the behavior of someone who most likely voted for him. As you learned in earlier episodes, my daughter was 10 years old when the narcissist and I were divorced. And after all she had witnessed in her life, 
After all the mistreatment by her father, it might surprise you to know that she was very upset when we told her about the plans. Later in life, I asked her why she was upset when I knew she didn't like the way she was treated by her dad. She said, because as a kid, you still don't expect to hear that your parents are breaking up. She did get over that feeling fairly soon, however, because of the behavior of her father in the next few months. We told her about the divorce together. However, because he was the one who started the ball rolling, I insisted that he be the one to initiate the conversation. He sat on a kitchen chair, knee to knee with my daughter, who sat directly opposite him. I stood in the background a bit, but close to her. He started by telling her that we both loved her and that nothing was her fault, but that we were splitting up. Then he told her that he knew he hadn't been a good dad all her life, but that was going to change. He wanted to have a relationship with her and be a big part of her life, which to me sounded stupid because why would he be a bigger part of her life than he was when we were married? He said that we would sell our house and both of us would find an apartment close to her school so that she could go back and forth between our two apartments easily. She would have her own bedroom at his apartment, decorated any way she want. They might even get a puppy. This made her hopeful and happy, and she fell for it, hook, line, and sinker. You can't blame a kid for having hope, even in someone who has chronically disappointed them. There's a little story my daughter likes to tell about her childhood, about the time she was nine years old. It doesn't have much of a point other than to demonstrate something about my daughter's sense of savvy. The event took place on a winter's day when the three of us were getting ready to go out. My daughter asked if she could go outside to look at something. Her father said she could, but under no circumstances was she to get dirty or even get her snow pants wet. When she came back into the house, wouldn't you know that the knees of her snow pants were wet? I prepared myself for the upcoming outburst from him and it came. He screamed at her asking why in the hell were her snow pants wet when he explicitly told her not to get them wet. He asked why she knelt in the snow. She insisted she did not kneel. He became even angrier and repeated the question. She responded again that she did not kneel. Then he went for the evidentiary approach, telling her not to lie because he had looked out the window and he had seen her kneeling in the snow. She insisted again that she did not kneel. I was standing behind him, facing her, with a frantic expression on my face, mouthing the words, what are you doing? He told her we were not leaving the house until she admitted what she had done. I couldn't even tell you now where we were supposed to be going, but it was someplace I know we all wanted to go, so it must have had some value to her. He said he would ask one more time and she had better answer. Why did she kneel in the snow? She looked him straight in the eye and she said, I didn't kneel, I squatted. I rolled my eyes and I wondered where she got her courage. 
because she was always morbidly afraid of him. Later, I asked her what she thought she was doing. She replied that she wasn't going to admit to something she didn't do. She had lost respect for him a few years before, and she said she realized by the age of eight that she was already smarter than her dad. With that in mind, let's get back to the year when she was 10 and we were newly divorced. Without giving too much away for later in the podcast, I can relate to you what happened right after the divorce. Her father had a girlfriend who lived in a town about 40 miles away from where we lived. She had two young sons, younger than my daughter. Beginning on Friday afternoons, he would call my daughter at home and tell her that he wanted her to come and visit for the weekend. Then minutes later, she would call me crying and saying she didn't want to go because she hated him. I would tell her that he had the right to see her and there was nothing I could do while I was stuck at work. She complained that he could care less about her. He just wanted her there to babysit his girlfriend's kids while they went out to the bar. The visits didn't last too long because he got tired of hearing her argue. Their relationship started to disintegrate even more after that. At one point, I went through a change of career, which necessitated a move to a different town two hours away. My daughter missed her friends, but she secretly rejoiced that she wouldn't have to see him as much. That didn't stop him from making demands, however. When we sent him her eighth grade picture, He immediately called and told me that she had to get braces right away because her teeth were a mess. I informed him that at my current level of income, that was not feasible. He said we could split the cost in half. I said, okay, he could pay the initial half to apply the braces and I would make monthly payments for the other half. Later on, she wanted to play the cello, but she would have to buy one. It was out of my budget, so I called to ask if he would help because he certainly wasn't overextending himself and he made much more than I did. He reminded me that he also had two kids at home, so I reminded him that those kids were being supported by their father's child support. I will never forget that phone call because it ended the necessity of having to speak to him for quite some time. He said that if he bought the cello for her, It better be the last time I ask him for anything related to her. I asked, you mean forever? He said, pretty much. So then I got really mad and I said, so no college, no car, no wedding? His answer was, well, I think we both know she'll never get married. Right before I slammed the phone down, I shouted, well, then I guess we're done talking. Unfortunately, we would have to talk to him again because he decided to get married and he wanted his daughter to be there. She didn't really want to go, of course, but I said, this is one of those times where she was just going to have to. When she came back, I asked how it went and she said it was kind of awkward, but one thing he did surprised her. The wedding was taking place at their house and she was standing in a room with her father and the minister looking at a large composite drawing of an outdoor theme that my college roommate had given him. He explained to the minister that it was a gift from his first wife's friend, and my daughter said he had tears in his eyes. I was so touched when I heard that. Just kidding. I said, no take backs. 
When my daughter was 12 years old, I was finishing an internship and I was going on to graduate school over 2,000 miles away. In order to get her out of the state, I had to obtain written permission from my ex. When I told him, he got mad and he said he wasn't going to let me take her and he would get custody of her. My daughter heard this and said she would die before she would live with him and she was not kidding. I assured her that would not happen and we would be together. As I expected, when push came to shove, he backed down. We moved out of state, across the country, and far from him. However, he started to pursue this idea of her coming back to visit because she was his daughter, and it was his right, and I wasn't going to keep her from him. Well, she told him that she would look for flights under a certain price limit so it would be affordable for both of us to split it. She did her internet research on flights and then called him back to tell him what it would be for him and he started to be very crabby on the phone telling her that he worked for a living and he wasn't handed government money like me. To her credit, she actually yelled at him and said that my mom works very hard in addition to being in grad school and she doesn't have money just handed to her. Well, no visit home for Christmas happened that year or any year. But come spring, they were scheduled to visit after many conversations on the phone trying to lock down a date because he kept saying he didn't know what his summer looked like. He might be in Italy for the National Guard, blah, blah, blah. My daughter had plans with a former classmate to visit on the last day of school, and so she didn't have a flexible schedule any longer. She explained this to her father through email and verified it with him so he knew what time her plane came in. She made it clear that she had a short visit planned and had no room to digress from the plan. She was packing the night before when the phone rang. I knew without looking that that it was him. She saw the caller ID and said, oh crap, it's dad. She begged me to answer, but I said, he doesn't want to talk to me. Reluctantly, she picked up the phone and all I could hear was, but dad, listen, dad, but dad, I can't do that. After she hung up, she came to me in tears saying that he wanted her to change her schedule by adding two days to the end of her trip to align with his plans. The last thing he told her was she had better be at that airport when he got there. To suit his schedule, he wanted her to add those two days and stay with him and go home later but the flights were limited at that airport and she had to stay with her plans. Sure enough, this led to the great shutout of 1998 and beyond, meaning no communication from him, no gifts for her birthday or Christmas ever again. This also led to no contact until 2003. By 2003, my daughter was 18 years old and she received a wedding invitation to her uncle's wedding. They were only two years apart, and they sort of grew up together, so she was close to him and she wanted to go. The wedding was taking place in her hometown, a place that she knew well, so I told her that she could drive herself and see her family and talk to her dad. She was a little nervous, but she went because she wanted to see her grandmother and she wanted to have a word with her father. Later she told me she could barely catch his eye at the wedding and at the reception she had to wait until she spotted him 
to be able to speak to him. At first, he told her that he was so sorry that he hadn't called her. He had thought about her all the time and missed her. She said she never would have guessed since he had shut her out for so long. Then he got defensive and said it wasn't up to him to create a relationship. She said, well, you're the parent. Then he told her that she should have taken the initiative. And that was the end of that chapter. She spent the rest of the night sitting with her stepmother, who proceeded to tell her that she probably should have divorced him years ago. My daughter went another eight years without hearing from her father. So by the time she was over 20 years old, she stopped asking me, if you had a kid somewhere out in the world, could you ignore that child for decades? In the years since she had talked to her father, she had been married, moved across the ocean, been brutally abused mentally, physically, and emotionally. She married someone just like her father, only a much more unstable malignant narcissist. When she was finally free of him, she came back home to me at age 25. She needed a lot of time to decompress and process and heal. She was very emotionally scarred, but she was mainly angry over years wasted and not having any accessible mental health resources where she had lived. Now that she was back in her home state and at home with me, she felt much more emboldened to restart her life. She had a lot of hurt feelings about the way her relationship with her father had ended. and She wanted to see if there was any shred of hope left. So she started looking into his Facebook page. And she saw something there that really flipped a switch. There were posts on his page of an older teenage girl pictured hugging him with captions like Jess and Papa K. We knew she wasn't family, didn't know who she could be or why she called him Papa. Maybe she was a daughter-in-law, but she looked too young to be married to his stepsons. At any rate, she was done pretending that she didn't have a father who knew she existed. So often over the years, my daughter asked me again, if I knew I had a kid somewhere out in the world, could I possibly live with myself having no contact whatsoever? And I always said, no, there's no way I could do that. And she would ask how I thought then her father could live with himself. Of course, I had no answer for her. It was the most painful of questions for a mother to hear. So she was done asking at that point. She said, enough of this. I'm done being invisible. I'm going to tell him what I really think of him. And she did. She drafted a long letter. And because she didn't know his email or phone number or anything, she did the only thing she could do and sent the letter to her stepmother by Facebook Messenger, asking her to pass it on if she thought he would read it. Well, maybe a week went by and she was anxious to see if there was any response. One morning while I was at a meeting out of state, I opened my email in my motel room in the morning and I saw an email from her with the eye-catching subject line, holy crap. I 
quickly glanced over the material in the email, which contained her father's response to her accusations and inquest. It was the most unimaginable document that I would ever read from him. And it started with, you were absolutely right. I am guilty of everything you accused me of, and I am so, so sorry that I ever did those things to you. I have no excuse other than I was just plain scared to reach out to you. I was afraid you would be too mad to talk to me, so I just pushed it out of my mind. It went on that way for a few more paragraphs, very contrite, very lucid, to the point that I figured he had his wife or his stepsons help him write it. Remember, this man had a very prolific collection of profane words that colored his every waking speech. But aside from pronouncing the word danger incorrectly, he didn't use big means, big words with meaning or feeling. This was the big apology that followed on the heels of the big lie with 15 years in between. He pleaded for another chance that the father-daughter relationship If it was not too late, he invited her to come and stay with them, even told her that he would be happy to buy her special vegan ingredients so she could eat what she liked. But the absolute kicker was his offer to buy her a secondhand car because she had arrived from England with literally nothing but cats and clothes. My elderly mother was conveniently trying to sell her gently used car, so we bought it from her and Soon she was on the road, traveling with her vegan cookbooks and a slight degree of trepidation. I have always set a great deal of trust in trepidation, in angst, in hesitation, in second guesses, and I've usually been right to. This was one of those times. As a divorced person with a school-aged child, you let them visit with the hope that they will be well-treated and not used to manipulate you by your former spouse. When your daughter is 25 years old and is driving to the home of your father, who verbally bashed her, physically hurt her, and forced her to witness all acts of domestic violence in her home as a preschooler, well, you naturally experience a wide range of feeling all the feels. So... When the phone rang on day two of her visit, I was hoping for all good things. Bunnies and rainbows coming out of her mouth, but there was, there was trouble already. Having believed he had changed, she soon realized he was just the same, only older. He complained about the cost of her vegan ingredients, then started lecturing her and putting demands on her new life of freedom. He said she was going to college, she was getting a job, etc. She was disheartened to say the least. She wasn't ready for any of that yet. Mainly she was annoyed and she wasn't sure if she should bail when she could. I asked her if she felt she could stand her ground and explained that at her age he could not dictate her life. She had lived with that from him long enough. She felt that she had to stay until she could express to him what her life had been like for the past five years. She had to talk about the domestic abuse in her marriage. When the phone rang the following day, I still had trepidation because my mom radar was surging powerfully. I answered the phone and I heard a sad, tearful word that had come to represent my daughter at her weakest point. Mom, 
I don't think I can stay here with him. Indeed, she sounded for all the world like a small child calling to say they wanted to come home early from summer camp. Her attempt to create understanding for what she had lived through, not only in marriage but at other points in her life, like in her trip to Paris, it all went horribly wrong. She had asked her father and stepmother to come sit down in the living room and give her their full attention and listen without comment until she was done talking. So, she began to describe how her marriage came about, the time living with me and the time living in the UK with him. She chronologically related her day-to-day treatment, how at first it was strictly emotional abuse with either yelling or complete silence. It quickly progressed to violence with slapping, punching, and kicking. Sometimes he would punch walls and himself instead, followed by periods of pouting and rubbing his forehead so hard I was afraid he was going to work a hole through his skull. She told about her lived experience of random punches to the stomach or the head, kicks to the shin when she stood up from the couch, along with the gradual loss of freedom and identity. He had all her ID cards with him most of the time when he was at work, including her passport and visa. She had no access to money and she feared using the phone in case he walked in. One day, he took his anger out on himself and he drove a knife into the palm of his hand and the table beneath. Bleeding profusely, he panicked and asked her to help him. She pulled the knife out but knew the wound was too large to treat at home and they would have to go to the trauma center at the hospital. He forbade her to say anything to the staff about how the wound happened. That was just a taste of her life married to him and she didn't have to go into great detail before her father started shaking his head in disgust and said, no, no, that's terrible. No one should ever hurt a woman. She shot back at him that she had watched him abuse her mother regularly for years. Again, he said no, he would never hurt a woman. Again, she tried to contradict him, even called him a liar. So he countered by asking his wife if he would ever hurt a woman, and she said no. So apparently my daughter just ran to her room and started throwing her stuff into a bag and didn't come out until the next morning. And that's when I got the tearful call. She said he was lying about things they both knew had happened, and she just couldn't see herself ever wanting to have anything to do with him again. And that was it. The last time. The real last time they had any contact. His siblings and his parents all dropped her on Facebook after she posted an angry description of how low someone could sink to protect his own ego. First though, they publicly called her a liar and a terrible daughter on Facebook. I tried to explain to my daughter what I thought was his reason for acting the way that he did. I told her that it was enough for him to be able to confess that he was bad to her He was never going to have enough emotional stability to also admit that he had been bad to me. And that was okay. We all knew what he did. I could live with it. But she didn't see it quite that way. 
And after this happened, I never again had the question from her about having a child somewhere in the world and being able to live my life in complete unconcern for that child. When her own son was born, she said there was no way she could ever live in the world without seeing him for even one day. I feel the same about her. And so I have apologized to her for making her live with a father like that. But she says she has never blamed me. She considers herself a survivor. And she truly is because of all that she has lived with and gone through. And she is the strongest person I know. I thank you for listening. And I hope for those of you out there in the world who have dealt with this kind of violence or maybe lived through it secondhand, I pray that it has made you stronger and better able to help other people navigate what can sometimes be a very dismal world. Thank you. Take care.